Good to see you guys tonight. I would love to meet all of you um, at some point, but since I can't do that, I just want to hear your name. So on the count of three, everybody yell out their name. One, two, three. Okay, I got it. I'll talk to you all afterwards. <laughs> well, today we're in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. Um, and so, you know, I've been in ministry since I was 18 and um, served at Peninsula Bible Fellowship as the youth pastor years ago. I think that's where Kitsap Thrive meets. And uh, then was in youth ministry 11 years. And so when I get to come and speak to college group. I used to lead one and it kind of gets me excited because I miss those days. I think I was damaged by those days and I still love to tell potty jokes for some reason in my sermons. So anyway, just to let you know a little bit about me. Now as we're starting to talk about Paul, Paul's name is Saul of Tarsus. Most of us know him by Paul, but that's who he starts off being called in the book of Acts in Acts chapter 9. So when you hear us talking about Saul, it is Paul. Uh, he was trained and educated as a Pharisee. You know those guys that always got in arguments with Christ in the New Testament? That was Paul. He was trained by one of the best of them, known as um, the Rabbi Gamaliel. And he oversaw the killing of the first Christian in Acts chapter 7. Um, that first martyr, does anybody know his name? Stephen. Yes. So Paul was there giving his approval. Then after that, he began persecuting all the Christians. And so in Acts 8.3, it says, But Saul was ravaging the church and entered house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And so Paul was breaking up families. He was arresting husbands, wives, moms, dads. Imagine not only doing that, but some of them lost their lives, like Stephen. But Jesus saved Paul, and that's what we're going to read about today. When he was saved by Christ, he was called to go preach the gospel to the Gentiles, which if you know anything about Pharisees, it's kind of funny that God called him to preach to the Gentiles because Pharisees call Gentiles, which a Gentile is anybody that's not Jewish, by the way, um, they called them dogs. Uh, they referred to Gentiles as fuel for the fire of hell and so on, so... Um, but that's who God called Paul to love and share the gospel with. And so God revealed his heart to reach the Gentiles, not only to Paul, but to Peter as well. And so in Acts 10 through 11, if you guys look at Peter, you'll also see that God showed Peter he had a heart for the Gentiles. But Paul, back to Paul, he was a great missionary and church planner in the New Testament. He traveled all around the Mediterranean Sea, um, sharing Christ, planting churches, and some believe he made it even as far as Spain. So he made his way around. Um, he often financed his own ministry by making tents. So instead of asking people for money, uh, like you see the televangelists do, you know, just send your money into this. Yeah, anyway, and God will bless it 10 times or whatever. Paul financed his own ministry. One of the most pro 
proliferative writers is Paul in the New Testament. He's actually a close second to a gentleman that wrote more verses in the New Testament than anybody else. Does anybody know who that is? Luke. Dr. Luke. And then a close second, of course, is Paul. Now, let's check this out. In verses 1 through 6, our first point, I don't know if you have the slides, um, but if you're taking notes, I'll try to say what we're talking about. So our first point is God lovingly saves even the worst sinners. All right? Even the worst sinners. And so in verse 1, if you're following along in your Bibles, Acts 9, verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. Now get this, Damascus was 150 miles away from Jerusalem. Paul hated Christians so much, and he was against Christ so much that he would travel 150 miles to Damascus just to imprison more Christians. That's the guy Saul was. So that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Notice how the faith, Christianity, is called the way in the book of Acts. The way. And um, so before uh, believers were called Christians, you know, they're called disciples, mostly in the New Testament, in saints, but Christians a couple of times. Um, in verse 3, now as he went on his way, notice the way Paul's going. His way. The way is faith in Christ, but his way is going his own direction. And if you guys didn't know this, sin is just that. It's going your own way. Um, in the Old Testament, it says, for we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way. And so um, we often think of sin as a list of wrong things that we could do. But really, sin begins by turning away from God. And so Paul thinks he's serving God, but he's actually fighting against Christ. And so it says this, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, the voice that he's hearing is the voice of Jesus Christ. And notice how he's saying, why are you persecuting me. Now, Jesus had died. He rose again. He ascended into heaven. So he's not physically on the earth. And what he's saying is, when you mess with my people, you're messing with me. So Jesus is so close to us, so unified with us, that if we are persecuted, Christ is persecuted with us. But Paul personally expounds on this encounter with Christ later on in Acts 26, Verse 14, and it says, and when he had fallen to the ground, or when we had fallen to the ground, he's talking about him and his companions, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now that sounds a little bit weird, right? 
if we're not used to hearing the word goads. Um, but a, a goad is actually a pointed tool that was used by plowmen to prod unruly oxen forward. And so it was a pointed stick that would injure or poke that animal, causing pain so that they would move. And what Christ is saying is, Paul, you're only hurting yourself by resisting God. You're only resisting God and you're going your own way. You're only hurting yourself. But get this, Saul was going to arrest Christians, but God arrested him. And this was a total act of grace. We'll talk about what grace is in just a moment. It's a total act of grace. In Luke 9, 10, Jesus says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That was Christ's mission, and it still is today. He came to seek and save those going their own way who are lost and estranged from God. In South Africa, there was a plumber, plumber's van that had this advertisement on the side of it. It said, there is no place too deep, too dark, or too dirty for us to handle. Sounds like a good plumbing company, right? But that's a great example of God's grace. There's no place too dark, too deep, too nasty for God to reach down and save someone. And that's exactly what he did with Paul. He reached down into the drain and pulled out a pile of gook named Paul. A lost sinner no one expected to get saved. Absolutely no one expected this. But God did it. And he can do it today. People you think, it's impossible. God could never save that person. Or maybe you think of it about yourself. God can never save me. Not true. His grace can go deeper and farther than you can imagine. Well, in verse 5, it says, And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. So I love this. He reveals to Paul, I'm Jesus. Paul didn't find Jesus. Sometimes we talk about our coming to Christ or becoming a Christian, like, I found Jesus. But it's not the way it works. Jesus finds you. And that's what he did for Paul. He found Paul right where he was. He had a personal encounter with the risen Christ. And this is really cool. Because in order to be an apostle, one of the prerequisites was that they had to be a witness of the resurrection personally. And so Jesus sets him up by appearing before him. Paul then places his faith in Christ, and we see this amazing testimony and transformation of this guy that hated Christians in, in Jesus and was against them, but now he meets Jesus. You know, we all have unique testimonies. A testimony is a story of what God has done in your life. And a lot of us want a testimony like Paul. And when we don't have a testimony like Paul, or maybe some other testimony you've heard, you know, I, I was in prison, 
And then I met Jesus, and now I'm totally a different person. Or, you know, whatever it is that we have in our minds. I used to sell drugs, and I used to be addicted to heroin, and, and now I've been cleaned, and I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. Which, these are all great stories, and they're powerful. But, you know, God is the author of your testimony. And a testimony is a story of what God has done in your life. And so any testimony that there is, it's to glorify him. So understand that God has authored your life. And your testimony is special and it's powerful because God not only made you, but saved you and your story is unique. And so uh, thank God that he doesn't do it the same way in everybody's life. But, you know, Paul, he meets Christ and he knows that he is so unworthy that Jesus would appear to him and save him? Well, early on in Paul's ministry, he, he was so aware of um, his unworthiness that he said this. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Notice his humility. I'm the least of all the apostles. But at least he's an apostle. Hey, you know, still pretty good, right? But later, a little later in his life, in Ephesians 3.8, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. You know, and so Paul, later on, he says, I'm the least of all the Christians, I'm the least of all the Christians. Okay, that humility is growing in depth and toward the end of his life. In 1 Timothy 1.15, it says this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Notice what he's saying. He's saying, I am the lowest low life to walk this earth. But Jesus came here to save me. And so that leads us to our next point. The grace of God transforms our life. In verses 7 through 9. Um, so it goes on. The, the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. Now he's blind. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Once Paul was spiritually blind, though he could see, but now he was spiritually able to see, though he was blind. Interesting how God turns the tables in our lives sometimes. But notice what Paul does. He fasts and he prays for three days. You ever wonder what he did during those three days when he was blind? After he had heard the voice of Jesus and realized that all that he was doing was wrong. I think during these three days of fasting and, and praying that Paul experienced sorrow for his past life and what he had done, to those Christians, um, to Stephen, 
to those men and those women and the children. I imagine he repented during that time. That instead of going his own way, now he's like, okay, Jesus, I want to go your way. And during those three days, he had to come to grips with God forgives him. Now, I think that would be very difficult. Taking time to receive God's grace is so important for us. Um, No matter what your past is, and, and sometimes, like I think for Paul, he was probably, I would imagine he would struggle with hearing those screams, seeing the face of Stephen in his mind, you know, thinking of all the destruction that he had done and feeling shame and regret. He had to take time to receive God's grace. You know, have you in your life taken time to actually receive God's grace and and let him take your shame and your guilt from you? Well, Paul realized that salvation was not an achievement that he gained by his ethnicity, which Jews of that time believed that they were saved because they were children of Abraham. Um, But in Romans... Paul clearly says it's not by our ethnicities as Jews, nor is it by works of the law. Only by the grace of God can anybody be saved. And so as we talk about grace, I want to help you guys understand what grace is. First, grace is a gift. It's a gift. It's something you receive. It's not something you earn. It's a gift. Sometimes gifts are hard to receive. When somebody gives you something and you have nothing to offer in return, I mean, have you ever been in that position before and it's really hard? You want to, like, apologize or pay them back or, or not receive it, perhaps? But the gift of God's grace is received. But grace is also this, unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. That means you did nothing to earn God's favor, but he has, he shows favor towards you, which means unconditional love. And not only does God love you, but he actually likes you. And get this, he, he loves you and he likes you, though he knows everything about you. Have you ever noticed sometimes when we want to have people love us, we try to hide the things that we don't want them to know because perhaps they might not love us anymore. If they knew how weird we really were, you know, if they knew maybe about our past, but God knows it all. And he still chooses to love you. And so you can either receive that or you can reject it. But in Romans 3.21, it says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. And so Paul realizes this, that there's a righteousness or a salvation that comes not by following the law of the Old Testament, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. He says, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned, and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So the grace of God, 
That's where it begins for all of us. Jesus came to seek and save the lost and to reach into the life of sinners. Now, you guys know C.S. Lewis. He's the guy that wrote the Narnia stories. Um, he's good buds with Tolkien. Uh, you know, they used to go to a pub and, and drink beer, don't tell anybody. But, uh, and they would talk about their stories and stuff. But C.S. Lewis, during a British conference on comparative religions, where experts from all over the world debated what, if any, belief was unique to the Christian faith, they began eliminating the possibilities as they discussed this among themselves. And so somebody said, what about the incarnation or God becoming man? And somebody's like, well, there's some other religions that have their gods becoming humans for a time or whatever. And then somebody said, well, what about the resurrection? And then another person said, well, there's some other religions where people rise from the dead. So the debate went on for some time. They're trying to find that one unique thing about Christianity. And then in walks C.S. Lewis. You know, I could imagine the kind of character of the man when he walks into the room and he says, what's all the rumpus about? And his colleagues told him they were discussing Christianity's unique contribution among the world's religions. And so Lewis, he responded, oh, that's easy. Everybody's like, oh, <laughs> it's grace. And so after some discussion, everybody in the room had to agree. Grace. The notion of God's love coming to us free of charge, no strings attached, seemed to go against every instinct of humanity, every man-made religion. The Buddhist Eightfold Path, the Hindu Doctrine of Karma, the Jewish Covenant, the Muslim's Code of Law, all of them offer a way to earn God's approval. Only Christianity teaches God's love unconditional, and his grace is a free gift. And so that becomes really the essence of what marks Paul's message as he shares the gospel. He was such a recipient of God's grace. He was so familiar with it that it, it permeated everything that he did, not only in receiving it, but then also being able to preach it. Christianity or salvation is not about doing. It's about what has been already done for you on the cross. Another uh, definition of grace I like is an acronym. Grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. I got a slide for it up there. God's riches at Christ's expense. Well, how was... God's riches shown to us at Christ's expense? Well, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says this. For our sake he made him, that's Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You know, when Jesus hung on the cross, he took upon himself all of our shame and guilt Everything that we've ever done or said. He took it upon himself and he even experienced that moment of separation from the Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, 
For his, for our sake, he became sin. And then for us who receive grace, what, what we're receiving is that Jesus paid the price by his death on the cross. That he shed his blood, praying the price we deserved of death, but the way that he did it is he exchanges our sin for his righteousness. And so when we receive the grace of God, it's like Jesus gives us a clean white garment to put over our nakedness, our shame, and guilt. And when we put that on, it wasn't something we earn. It was something he imparts to us, righteousness. There's another great verse that really summarizes this in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. You know, when you get to heaven, nobody's going to be saying there, I earned it. I was good enough. I made it. You know, when we're in heaven one day, we'll realize this was a gift. Nobody's going to boast, but we're going we're gonna to give all the glory to Jesus. Well, how do we receive the gift? It says here, by faith, by faith. By putting your faith in Christ. But what is faith? You know, faith is, another way to say it is trust. When you guys came in here tonight, um, I noticed all of you guys are resting in your seats. Um, and you didn't try to add to the chair's ability to hold you up. You know, because if you have been doing that, have you ever tried to do a sit, you know, for a long time? Eventually, your legs start shaking. We used to do these kind of dumb uh, competitions in youth group when I was a youth pastor. You know, the, the guys would uh, sit against the wall with no chair and see how long we could do it. And, you know, the last guy, he's like, <laughs> and then he collapses. Um, but when you're sitting in your chair, nobody's been here trying to add to the chair's ability to hold you up, or else your thighs would be burning, and your abdomen would be shaking. That's what it means to put your faith in Christ, is that you do not add, because we cannot add, anything to what he's done for us. Instead, we put our life in his hands, and we receive that salvation. So if you've been trying to add to the work of Christ by being good enough or thinking that somehow you've ticked him off enough that he would never save you, then you don't understand grace. Paul understood it because he definitely didn't deserve it. And so as you see Paul preaching, you know, it's just the grace of God just, it like just drips off of everything that he says. And it's powerful. And so um, I'm just going to read you the rest of the story and, and make a couple of comments because we're running out of time. But in verses 10 through 16, we see God masterfully use us as instruments of his grace. And so it says, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, 
And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias, man, he heard about this guy named Paul. I would imagine at this point, he's like, what? What are you asking me to do? Are you crazy? Well, he didn't say that, thankfully, to, to God. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call in your name. Man, I don't want to go to prison. Ananias, I bet you he was intimidated. I bet you he was reluctant, but thankfully he obeyed. You know, this is awesome. Ananias, we, we hadn't heard of him yet. You know, and he was in a totally different town than Jerusalem, and, and perhaps he was an obscure believer somehow. But now we know his name because God uses him to minister to Paul. And then Paul goes from there and impacts nations. You know, sometimes God wants us to be his tool of grace in somebody's life like Ananias to Paul. Maybe you teach some kids in Sunday school. Um, and you find out later on in life, you know, that you were the one that led this little kid to Christ who becomes the next Billy Graham. You know, God wants to dispense his grace um, through your ministry in other people's lives. But in verse 15, it says, but the Lord said to him, don't be freaked out. Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings even and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Wow. Not only is he an apostle that is sent to the Gentiles, but part of his calling is Jesus saying, I am going to show him how much he's going to suffer. And when you follow Paul's life story, after he met Christ, he suffered a ton for the sake of Christ. And so I want to read to you a quick list uh, from um, 2 Corinthians 11. He goes on to, to list some of these things. He says, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews, the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, and that's not with marijuana. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, and often without food and cold and exposure, and apart from all other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Man, he suffered for the sake of Christ. This is how the grace of God impacted him so much he could not keep himself from going out and sharing about the grace of God. 
Well, Paul was eventually imprisoned multiple times, um, and he was martyred in 67 AD by beheading because he was a Roman citizen. You know, they gave you the dignity of being beheaded instead of crucified. Yeah, nice. But did you know that part of our calling, though not to suffer as much as Paul did, perhaps, part of our calling is to suffer too. And so if you've ever accepted Christ and then things might get hard and people might treat you badly, or you might stand out in this world like a sore thumb and you're, you just do not like attention drawn to yourself, but man, if you stand for Christ, it's going to happen. Paul tells us in Philippians 1.29, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. That word granted means it's a gift. It's a gift. If you've ever suffered for Christ, then you realize how much of a gift it really is. When you're counted worthy of suffering for the name that people would look at you and see Jesus, that is an honor. Jesus said, blessed are you when people persecute you for his sake. Well, the last thing we see is Rejoice in seeing God's grace displayed in others. Verse 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on Paul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road which you came has sent me to show you that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he, re he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. The last thing we see here is that Ananias calls him Brother Saul. Brother Saul. After knowing all that Saul did, do you think that rolled off of Ananias' tongue easily? Brother Saul. Or that he said it with attitude. Well, I think Ananias is a godly man, and he truly meant it. He was truly excited about God's grace being displayed in Paul's life. You know, sometimes we have a hard time seeing other people receive God's grace because we think they ought to pay for what they did. But thanks be to God, he doesn't make us pay for what we did. And so instead, we, we need to share the father's heart. We all know the prodigal son story. You know, the, the brother that leaves and lives a crazy life of sin, and then he squanders all of his wealth. He's at the, the bottom of his rope, and he decides to come home. And as he's coming home, his dad sees him from a long ways away, and he drops everything, and he runs to his son and embraces him, and then he throws a feast for him. And that's the story we're all used to hearing. But you know the punchline of the story actually happens after that. The punchline is the older brother being told, hey, your brother's back, and your dad's throwing a party for him. He's like, what? That little scoundrel. I've been here faithful all these years and my dad's going to throw a party for him and he refused to go in. And so his dad came out and pleaded with him. 
Why? Because he wanted his son to share his heart. That his brother was saved. That he came home. Well, God wants us to share his heart by sharing his grace. And I want to end by saying this. Um, sorry, I'm just a couple of minutes over. Uh, John Newton. Um, maybe you've heard a song he wrote. Uh, he was from the 1700s. He wrote a song called Amazing Grace. He was a former Navy deserter, a man without honor, and he was a slave trader. John Newton came to a moment of crisis while he was captaining a ship through a horrible storm, and he came to the point where it felt like the ship was going to sink and everything seemed lost. Newton found himself facing death and the reality that he's going to face God. And so in that moment, he repented and he called out on the name of Christ for salvation and he was forever changed, just like Paul. Newton became greatly influenced by some evangelists known in their day, uh, Whitfields and Wesleys, and he married his longtime sweetheart and began studying for ministry and preached wherever he could, any vacant building. He was known as the old converted sea captain. You know, because of that reputation, people came to listen. They wanted to hear his story. Newton felt dissatisfied with the, the music of that day, the traditional hymns, and so he began writing his own music. You got to love it when that happens. One of those songs is Amazing Grace. And you know the words, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. You know, in his later years, people told Newton, you know what? It's time for you to retire because you've got bad health and your memory is failing. <laughs> You're just getting old, man. And so his reply was this. My memory is nearly gone, but I can remember two things. Number one, that I'm a great sinner. And number two, that Christ is a great savior. Today, do you need God's grace? You know, it all begins when you're going your own way to stop and turn back to your shepherd. Let's pray. And if that's where you're at today, if you know you need God's grace, pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin and becoming my sin, my shame, my guilt. And for offering me your purity, your righteousness. I receive this free gift of grace as I call on your name, Jesus Christ, Son of God, save me, a sinner. Help me to go your way now. And when I fall, I thank you, your word says, but he gives more grace. You pick me up, you brush me off, and teach me your ways. Thank you that you've made me a new creation and a child of the Heavenly Father. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.